0: case attendant Hural asked Dehan where have all the past saints gone <clears throat> Dahan said what what Huau said I gave the command for
1: an excellent horse like a flying dragon to spring forth but there came out only a lame tortoise. Dahan was silent
0: the next day when Dahan came out of the bath whoal served him tea. Deshan passed his hand gently over Huao's back. Hua said, This old fellow has gotten a glimpse for the first time. Again, Deshan was silent.
1: Okay, and here is the second one.
2: Uh, main case. Attendant Huo asked Deshan, Where have all these sages? Since antiquity gone. The shan said, What? How's that? Hua said, The order was for flying dragon horse, but a lame tortoise shows up. The shan let it rest. The next day, when the shan came out of the bath, Hua passed him some tea. The shan patted Hua on the back. Hua said, This old fellow has finally gotten a glimpse again the shan let the matter rest
1: okay and i think one more thing i'm going to show you Um, i think i sent it out in the thing about this tonight but but i played with it a little in photoshop i mean not to make any any more meaningful but Here we go. I just think it really uh, connects.
0: Yeah, you send it in. (laughs) That was a good one.
1: A Sherwin radio talk show. People phone in with questions on existence and reality, and you respond with total silence.
2: Could you put the both text maybe in the chat? I don't know. I I would like to see both of them, but I don't know. Oh, or maybe
1: links. I, don't I know. can do that.
2: Okay. Thank. You.
1: Okay. So this is one, and this is the other. Now there's a lot of influence of Christianity in in uh, Buddhism. And one thing my wife found is that the the guy who started Japanese tea ceremony was married to a Catholic, and he was so impressed with her forms that he said, we need forms like that in tea ceremony. But I'm just thinking of this word saints is kind of seems more like a um, Christian word, doesn't it, than a Buddhist word. So, So, and I don't know. Uh, just the translation is, is a little funky. Okay. Um, so I'll leave this up. And it's interesting too, I think, that this is called um, Attended Wu <coughs> Offers Tea. As if there's some um, importance there.
3: So this koan, as I my body um processed it, is about impermanence, death, which is part of that. And um I chose not to write. I chose instead to enjoy my body, um, to walk and and through my senses appreciate what I one day won't have. Um And it's lovely. We don't really stop to feel every bit of our toes touch the ground, the big one pushing off, our ankles and knees and hips helping us ambulate, our spine holding up this big heavy head and so on. And the reason I didn't write is because I think someone else in addition to the koan put it very well. So I'm gonna show you a piece of art, not mine, I don't have this gift or talent, um, but it's something that one of our sangha members left here in my um, care until she returns, and I, I I'll show it to you first. It's on a plate,
1: and here she is.
3: There's Milan Milan I hope you don't mind. I'm showing your piece of art. Hi.
1: Why don't you? Re- would you repeat your initial statement? this is about
3: this con is about impermanence and ultimately our our deaths it'll come to all of us and so because i am safe keeping this piece for melanne on a little shelf in my kitchen i just looked right right up to it and thought i'm gonna enjoy my body and i'm gonna present melanne's art and what she says about it um as part of my understanding of the koan. Uh, The little note she left with it, Melen, I hope you don't mind. It's called Memento Mori. And Melen says, I usually work with traditional artistic genres and rethink the values of, of their validity today. This piece is my interpretation of the still life genre, vanitas, in which reminders of death were used as part of the transience of life. In the past, skulls, mirrors, or instruments of knowledge, among other references, were used in this genre, denoting the sense of impermanence as well as the vanity of the human being. The Latin phrase, momento mori, was used, used frequently in this sort of work, meaning, remember that you will die. In this piece, the one I just showed you, I used instead a lava rock, magma from the bottom of the earth that has emerged, just like us, and of which we will be a part again when this temporary human life has ended. The gold in the stone represents vanity. In the pieces of the series, vanity is represented in different ways, according to each particular form of the rock, from relevant areas to capriciously sinuous threads that are lost and diluted, just as in our current lives. I, I can't encapsulate this koan better.
1: Who'd like to go next, now that we've heard from Melen and and Nelda?
4: Thank you, Nelda. Thank you, Melen.
1: It's in the chat, too, Melen, the the, co-on. Oh, you can't see it in the chat, though, because...
4: I arrived later.
1: Yes, so I will do it again.
4: Thank you.
5: I, I wrote a little bit, it, it's not done yet, but I'll be happy to share what I wrote.
1: Sure. Okay, I can, I can find it.
5: Yep. Sages and saints, dragons and tortoises different ways of looking, being in life. Sages wise, old speaking with knowledge, trying to teach or at least impart. Saints being sometimes wise, staring among, staring being among rather than alone, or alone, but among the heavenly hosts. Dragons large, flying, swooping, breathing fire, destroying. Maybe bringing wisdom to those kings and regular folks who listen. Tortoises live so long, they hold the past in their bodies and impart wisdom slowly and evenly. They've been on their path so long, no one sees them. They pull inside themselves, being only rocks for those traveling sages to sit upon. What would happen if the saints found the dragons in a meadow, eating wonderful grass and flowers?
1: That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Cody? Are you there? I didn't write anything. I just said. Well, do you have any impression from the koan?
0: No, not at the moment. Maybe, okay. maybe once we delve into it.
1: Okay. Yesenia?
2: Well, as usual, I can say that I do not understand koans. I wrote down like three lines because I was uh, very puzzled by the if if flying dragon is the name of the horse or not. Whatever. Anyway, flying dragon horse, or a flying dragon horse, throws the tea to the lame to a lame tortoise. Thus, in the silence, all sages. Have somewhere gone, were gone. Well, they went
1: somewhere. (laughs) Starlet?
0: So, when I read it, I understood something. Then, when it was read here, the meaning changed. So, I wrote a poem, well, I wrote something that has both meanings. Because I don't know which one is right. It could be both.
1: Of course, yeah.
0: Okay, so this is what I wrote. Are there no more sages? Only a lame tortoise left instead of greatness. When you come out of the water, I understand. I serve the lame tortoise. Do I? No, your hand on my back and my eyes open to the reality. I am the lame tortoise. So what I meant to say here is that I think he didn't realize that he was talking to a sage and he called the sage a lame tortoise not recognizing what was in front of him until he actually saw him come out of the water and realize I have insulted you. I didn't even recognize you are a sage. But then when the sage pats his back, to me signifies, oh no, the lane toward this is the servant.
1: Is the servant, did you say? Yes. Hmm.
0: So the tortoise could be either one of them. One for being a fool, of not recognizing what was in front of them. The other one, because he's very old and he may be a lame tortoise because of age. But that wisdom is there because of how old and how much he has lived or she has lived.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's uh, important, and I didn't think of that. The uh, that both you and um, Melissa mentioned about the how long a tortoise lives. Do they live over a hundred?
0: Way more than that. More. The one from uh, Darwin just died a little ago. Yeah. And she lived like almost 300 years.
2: Or two, 250, something like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. And that wow.
0: was a that Darwin encountered when he came up with his theory. And And this
2: tortoise, I think, already was like not young or something like this. Yeah. Didn't take it. the
1: old tortoise, old, well, lame, Mm -hmm. but maybe in the other translation. No, they're they're both lame tortoises. Yes, but. Oh, but at the end. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Why do you think it's an old tortoise?
0: Because to me, in order to be, (laughs) you gain wisdom as you live. And to me, if I have to represent a sage, it's normally going to be someone very old. And what happens with that is that, is that old person going to have their body being able to move as well as a young person no that does, doesn't detract okay
1: i'll buy it
3: may i add something kim which also yes. relates to Malen's art and why and why i didn't sort of explain how i related the parts of of Malen's piece to this i think sometimes we humans create this delusion of what a commander-in-chief or a savior, or a sage should look like. Powerful, big, strong. You think about Gandhi and how he transformed India and he was this tiny little man. Very weak, got near death many times.
1: Yeah, he was scared of horses so he rode ponies but he always got presented as riding a horse in paintings.
3: Yes, and so you see the depictions of our throughout history, our, na- our national and our spiritual leaders as being very vibrant sometimes, not necessarily. So when I when I saw, that's the gold in Malin's piece. That's the vanity. That's the delusion, I think, that we sometimes hold about what a, a leader looks like. And, and, and in, in our practice, that leader being a sage, someone to guide us. And so, um, and there's another part that, that I read into this that I, I don't think anyone touched on yet, because Deshaun's answer was what? What? Like, like coming out of a dream, we're not really understanding the question until Huo talks about flying dragons springing forth and lame tortoises. And he falls silent, and then the next day with that gentle pat after his bath, we don't know what happened if he slowly ambled over to his seat. But you can get a glimpse of what might have been seen by Huo when he says, this old fellow has gotten a glimpse of what? Of his own impermanence of him not being that dragon, of there not being vanity in his body anymore, of it being old. And it says this old fellow has gotten a glimpse for the first time. Well. But I don't know what that means. Do you see
1: uh, the what, what is like, what the hell are you talking about?
3: Yeah, what?
1: Yeah, that's how I take it.
3: Yeah, what? What? And it's only when he just Where
1: have you been kind of thing.
3: Yeah. And so. And
1: patting on the back, like you say, I I think of it too as the, like you're starting to get something cool. You know, that's a cool move.
3: Actually, actually, I saw that as Deshaun, the older man, the sage, saying, thank you for the awareness. Thank you. For reminding me again that I am an old lame tortoise that I too will pass. Thank you and thank you. Oh, for-
1: so you think this old fellow is Deschamps and not Huo's? Huo said, "This old fellow is he talking about himself or?" Well, is he look talk- at
3: the look at the reading. The next day, <laughs> when Deschamps came out of the bath, Huo served him tea. Deschamps, the older fellow, passed his hand gently over Huo's back. And then Huo said, This old fellow has gotten a glimpse for the first time of his I'm influence. glad
1: you're talking about this because it, it really addresses the relationship between the two.
3: So that's why this stone, I mean, I see the stone, this volcanic stone from deep in the earth, old, crusty, dark. Not not quite as pretty as an excellent horse or a flying dragon or the gold that runs through this, right? Through Melen's art piece. But that's also the vanity of our images.
1: So can I share mine? Oh yeah. So this is a tortoise with a horse on its back. I see it. So you get close to the tortoise and then you realize it's a horse, a flying horse, dragon. Okay. I have a few things. Where are they, where are they, where are they? First, in the, um, there's one person's um, comment on the first side, I showed you that maybe tells us too much, but we can handle it. Someone want to read this?
3: Melissa, you beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. Go
2: ahead.
5: I would say I, I'll read it. Okay. Can you make it a little bigger? Of course. That good? Go. Thank you. Yes. Wick's comment. What is the best way for a teacher to teach? How we react to a situation always depends upon conditions, the time, the place, the people involved, and the intensity of the relationships and the situation. There isn't some kind of absolute response that we can apply identically in every situation. Sometimes you wield the stick. Sometimes you back off. Sometimes you retreat. Sometimes you go forward. But we must understand that whatever we do affects everyone else. So how can we respond appropriately to each situation? How can we react in a way that's most effective? Who, who was not the one to accept the stick easily? Sometimes a tough word from the teacher that drives a rigid student away is the correct action. Each student is different, so the teacher tries to meet each student in the place where he or she can benefit most from the teaching. Also, the student must meet the teacher where he or she is. When Huo asks where the Holy Ones went, he is saying, whatever... Oops, I lost it. Ah, whatever, wherever... Okay, also the student must meet the teacher where he or she is. When Huo asks where the Holy One went, ones went he's saying whatever the holy wherever the holy ones went that is where i am going that's where i am deshawn's answer what what should give huo a clue instead huo insults deshawn and deshawn desists then when huo brings deshawn tea the next day deshawn pats him on the shoulder He's showing Huo the answer to his question. Huo makes a remark and Deshaun again lets it pass. Every time this attendant tries to grab onto something to aggrandize himself, Deshaun gives him nothing to hold on to. Deshaun was like a grandfather who lets his grandchild be just as he is even if the child is playing in the mud. Eventually, the child will want to get out of the mud and be clean.
1: You like that? Yes, I love
3: Senya, that. I obviously don't understand koans either. <laughs> Not at all about impermanence.
0: <laughs> I got right the fact that he insulted the shan. I don't know about this, the last part when I was saying that the lame tortoise was who hero. So once we read it, I don't know how much away I will be from the reality, but I, I'm glad that you read this. This makes things way more clear.
1: Maybe, maybe. Okay, I want to read one more thing. Well, I have two more things, but. Um,
4: Can you send up this link out, please via chat? Mm.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: There's many different um, things that different people say about the, <coughs> the koan, but that was the one that really hit me. But, uh, of, okay, first we have a request.
4: nilda i didn't understand anything at all about the con either
1: about the what
4: about the con
1: oh i think you did exactly but anyway th- this is uh so can i tell them the question you asked me yesterday melin yes and I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it, but something like, um, should we be studying Koans with a real Koan teacher, something like that. So, so let's, let's read this. And so that I thought that was exactly the Koan, you know, as the real Koan teacher being the sages of the past, as opposed to the lame tortoise. But let's, let's look at this because, um, This is uh, Richard Baker, who was one of the first students of uh, Suzuki Roshi. And this is from the introduction of Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. And I have to share it. But this, uh, if you, oh, if you substitute um, for, a, you know, a, a horse like a dragon or whatever it is for a Roshi, this is really, really beautiful, I think, because it's it's like, what's the nature of a real teacher? Is it like a, a, a horse, a brilliant, beautiful horse, or is it like a tortoise? So anyway, who would, who would read this? Starlet, are you up to reading?
0: Um, okay, I can try.
1: Okay, and do you need it bigger or anything? No, I okay.
0: think I'm good. Okay. Aroshi is a person who has actualized that perfect freedom, which is the potentiality for all human beings. He exists freely in the fullness of his whole being. The flow of his consciousness is not the fixed repetitive patterns of our usual self-centered consciousness, but rather arises spontaneously and naturally from the actual circumstances of the present. The results of this in terms of the quality of his life are extraordinary buoyancy, vigor, straightforwardness, simplicity, humility, serenity, joyousness, uncanny perspicacity, and unfathomable compassion. His whole being testifies to what it means to live in the reality of the present. Without anything said or done, yes, the impact of meeting a personality so developed can be enough to change another's whole way of life. But in the end, it is not the extraordinariness of the teacher which perplexes, intrigues, and deepens the student. It is the teacher's utter ordinariness, because he is just himself. He is a mirror for his students. When we are within him, we feel our own strengths and shortcomings without any sense of praise or criticism from him. In his presence, we see our original face and the extraordinariness we see is only our own true nature. When we learn to let our own nature free the boundaries between master and student disappear in a deep flow of being enjoyed in the unfolding of buddha mind
1: isn't that neat so i see this as the part in bold which i made bold as being a description about the tortoise
0: this is beautiful mm-hmm.
1: By the way, um, Zen Mind Beginner Mind you can you can find online as a PDF, and it has this in it. Okay, now, oops, oops, oops. How did that happen? Okay. Now there's this beautiful um, commentary on the koan that we're going to read. So let's just go alphabetical. So, um, um, geez, I, I'm first. No, Cody's first. Where's Cody? Cody, are you there? No. No, Cody. Okay, I will be first. <coughs> Probing, pole in hand, shadowing grass around him. Sometimes he wraps a ball of silk and iron. And this relates to Malin's piece. Sometimes he wraps a special stone with silk. To determine the soft by means of the hard is, of course, right. What about the matter of being weak when meeting strength? Main case. So, Casenia, uh, just a second, I need to scroll.
2: Attendant Huo asked the Shan, "Where have all the sages since antiquity gone?" The Shan said, "What? How's that?" Huo said, "The order was for a flying dragon horse, but a lame tortoise showed up. Shows up." The Shan let it rest. The next day, when the Shan came out of the bath, Huo passed him some tea. The Shan patted Huo on the back was said, This old fellow has finally gotten a glimpse. Again, the shunt let the matter rest.
1: Okay, and now we have looks like uh, Melissa. Okay. First.
5: Coming right up. Coming right up face to face, an adept knows where sparks and lightning are slow. The plotter who lost the moment has a deep intent to fool the enemy army into not thinking ahead. Each shot a sure hit. Who's fooled anymore? When you see jowls from behind his head, the man is hard to run afoul of... Setting his eyes under his eyebrows, he got the advantage.
1: Hmm. Okay, and now, Melanne. Um, you know, I can make it a little smaller, can't I?
3: A little bigger
1: oh you want bigger okay right there.
3: Oh, that's good no nope. no it doesn't have to be that big but the next level down there thank you kim
1: okay
4: in the prasna paramita sutra it says when the giver and the receiver the gift and the action have no basis this is adana paramita The Paramitas are the practices of an awakened, compassionate being. Dana, the first of the Paramitas, is selfless giving. Generosity, one of the most important aspects of Buddhist practice, helps us reclaim a fundamental aspect of our being, which is to be magnanimous in heart, rather than withholding, to be expansive rather than contracted and confined, to be trusting rather than cynical or skeptical. Giving selflessly is powerful because it's a language that everyone understands. When you offer a gift, that gesture speaks clearly in every time and every place to every person. It helps free us of our stinginess and self-centeredness.
1: Stinginess. stinginess. Do you know that? You know that word? No. Oh, when you're stingy, you're you keep everything to yourself. and You don't want to give anything away.
4: Oh, I see. Thank okay. you. It put puts us into direct contact with another being, and it shows us how we have something to offer always. In Dhanaparamita, we are giving Buddha Dharma, which is the ultimate gift of liberation. That's beautiful.
1: So this really addresses um, the relationship and how they're both giving to each other in one way or another. It's so funny uh, in these commentaries, how they, you know, what, what, where they go with, because they don't want to just explain it, but, but something, um, they're talking around it in in such a illuminating way, I think. Okay, so I think Anelda is next. Okay.
3: What is giving? How do we truly help another? Compassion in Buddhism is selfless love arising from deep wisdom, having no basis like in this koan. Deshan was a well-respected teacher and known for being quite strong in the sense of tough, severe, and demanding. Woe is his attendant, whose practice is to attend to his teacher, to anticipate his needs. It's a practice of releasing one's self-concern an offering well being to someone
1: look at these photos aren't they great here i'll make it smaller so you can see the whole well oh mm. it looks like an old sock yeah and I had a student who collected old gloves. She, she had some real dandies. She, I don't know if it's an old sock, but that's how, what it looks like to me, or an old shoe.
2: Looks like a hand, I don't know. It looks
0: like a lay Buddha.
2: <laughs> yeah, like a, like a hand. For me, it's like a hand of the Buddha, you know, this, this meditation posture. So one of the hand was cut.
3: One's in the other. One hand is in the other hand. Yes, I see.
0: <laughs> yes, I think you're right. That is a hand. Oh,
1: oh did I? Did I just? Um... Here. Okay. okay so nelda read and now it's um
0: starlet
1: starlet yes
0: i have a cat in front of me i don't know if you guys can see her um
1: yes. Master,
0: the must once said if you have no affairs of the self then you have no delusive craving that which is obtained through delusive craving you don't actually obtain If you have no affairs in your mind, nor mind in your affairs, then you're unoccupied, yet animated, empty, yet wondrous. But if you allow yourself to stray from his upright state, you'll be deceived by words. Why? When bound by the slightest thought, we enter a hell realm a single glimpse of our impulsive life, and we're bound tightly for 10,000 kalpas. Words like sacred and ordinary are empty. Superior and inferior appearances are just hallucinations. Constructions of the mind. If you're constantly striving for these things, would you not become exhausted? If you become belabored in this manner, it will be a disaster. The result cannot be good.
1: Now, I guess it's back to me. Indeed, Deshawn meets his students who who says, who asks, where of all the stages since antiquity gone? Deshan says what? How's that? Once a student came to Deshan and asked what is bodhi and Deshan said get out don't defecate here. <laughs> as soon as words are spoken buddha enlightenment dukkha liberation are my <coughs> begin to become bound I I misread that at first, and I I thought it was going to say our minds begin to become bored. Why? Because the words mean something. In meaning, something. They point to something that becomes an object in our mind. We then take the mind object of our own creation and begin to relate to it as existing on its own. So how does Dharma practice offer relief? How does it give us the gift of great release? So, Melissa.
2: I think it's me,
1: but. Oh, go on. Yes. It's okay. (laughs) Where are you?
2: I'm here. I just, my internet is not so strong and sometimes I switch off video. uh, It is you,
1: it is you, okay.
2: Because sometimes my computer says your internet connection is is, uh, weak. That's why sometimes I switch off my camera. The Heart Sutra says, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no realm of sight, no realm of consciousness, no old age and death, no end to old age and death, no suffering, no cause of suffering, no extinguishing, no path. This seems to take everything away, not seeing, hearing, smelling, thinking. How is this giving? The moment something is affirmed, it begins to become, to be. This is the basis upon which we build and construct the self and another, and the result cannot be good. Once other is established, greed, anger, and delusion are sure to follow. So the generosity of the teachings comes in the form of saying, not this, not this, pointing deeper, more directly, until ultimately we reach groundlessness, baselessness. When you hear these words, what appears in your mind as a result of that cannot be good. Teachers are constantly trying to lead us, not towards... I don't see... Kim, can you scroll it a little bit? Thank you. Teachers are constantly trying to lead us not towards the construction, but to not constructing, and then beyond this too. This is the great piece. But how is this offered face-to-face, person-to-person, teacher-to-student? What form does such giving take along the path? In
5: In the pointer, he says, sometimes a ball of silk is wrapped in iron. Sometimes iron is wrapped in silk. Zen teachers speak of rolling out when the teacher provides a guiding hand, walks side by side with the student, pointing out the barriers and brambles. It's like having a good friend who knows the way. This is wrapping a special stone with silk because what the student encounters in the beginning will appear easy, but they soon find it to be hard and unyielding. Then there is rolling in where the teacher is demanding withdraws. Your friend and guide has left you there, left you alone. You look, but you can't find them. You have only your own resources to rely on rely upon this can appear tough and uncompassionate though it arises from the teacher's faith in the student they are sufficient to find their way through until they stand naked and alone they won't discover their true source wrapping a ball of silk in iron it may seem overwhelming but when we turn in and step forward, we find the way opens up, expectedly.
4: Where have all the sages since antiquity gone? There is another koan where Master Ma was walking with with his student, Baizang, when some ducks flew by overhead. Master Ma asked, what are those? He could see. There was nothing wrong with his eyes. Bai Sang said, Dogs, Master. Master Ma said, Where have they gone? Bai Sang said, They flew away. Master Ma then grabbed his nose and squeezed it. Bai screamed out in pain. Master Ma released him and said, When have they ever flown away?
5: All right, so
3: don't move it until I ask Shame, is that all right? Yes. All right, thank you so much. Sean says, what? How's that? Where have they gone? Where are they now? Where are you now? Huo says, the order was for a flying dragon horse, but a lame tortoise shows up instead. Even over the hundreds of years, this still translates and stands up pretty well. Wo does not approve of his teacher's response. Deshan, let it rest. Now remember, this is a very powerful, fierce teacher and he lets it rest. Why? Is wo correct? Is Dejan giving up on his student? Teachers never give up on a student. Bodhisattvas never abandon sentient beings. How they give can appear in many different ways. Sometimes they walk side by side. Sometimes they take a piece of food and chew it and then put it in your mouth. Sometimes when they put it in your mouth, what they put in your mouth is sweet. Sometimes it's bitter. Even if they close the door and say, go away, it's for the sake of liberation. Does Hyo understand? What does he understand? You can move it now, Kim. Thank you. Where is his mind?
2: How oh, so beautiful. Mm.
0: In our training relationship. in our training relationships with teachers, On the one hand, we can be attached to formality. On the other hand, we can get confused in being casual. After the Buddha was enlightened, he went to the group of aesthetics with whom he had previously lived and practiced. He left them because he decided that asceticism was not a viable path. They saw him as having given up and returning to a self-indulgent life. As they saw him returning, they said, Oh, there's that old deadbeat, Shakyamuni, who has abandoned the path. Let's ignore him. So they tried to ignore him. But as he comes closer, they can't because they see that something is different. He seems somehow transformed. So they get up and prepare a seat for him. When they address him as they had in the past, as friend, the Buddha stops them and says, don't address. I don't know how to pronounce that word.
1: Tattagatha.
2: T- Tattagatha.
0: Tattagatha. By name and as friend. The Tathagatha, friends, is a worthy one, rightly self. Uh, Rightly self-awakened, lend your ear. The deathless has been attained. I will now instruct you. I will teach you the Dharma. Practicing as instructed, you will In no long time, reach and remain in the supreme place of holy life, for which you have rightly gone forth from home. Realize it for yourself here and now.
1: We're about halfway through. Do you want to uh, finish this next week?
3: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, who who could remember the first time I read this? I thought I'll write it down.
3: Kim, uh, I yes. do one request. Since this next paragraph is sort of the bow on the what just happened, that exchange. Oh, okay. Can we finish this one paragraph?
1: Yes. The first time I read this, I thought, that's a bit bit cheeky, but that was not my understanding, but that was my not understanding. I later came to see this as the Buddha trying to create a right relationship <coughs> within these sincere students and the Dharma so they could hear it, practice it, and realize it. In our training, when we do face-to-face teaching, why is there a formality in how the student enters the teacher's room? It is to bring their consciousness to a place of wakefulness, of alertness, so they can have an intimate and subtle communication with the Dharma. In other words, so we can hear rather than listen, see rather than look, realize rather than understand. I came across something um, the other day because someone, in terms of this intensive that's going to be happening, someone asked about um, noble silence. They didn't use those terms, but noble silence is what we generally do in an in a, uh, intensive where we're silent, we don't say anything. And I uh, started reading about it And actually, it's the second best thing, noble silence. And the best thing is to talk about the Dharma. But if you can't do that, then you keep your mouth shut. And I I just really like that idea. And then I I was thinking today, I keep thinking about this, and I was thinking about, um, I don't know, probably Ksenia has seen the Pali Canon. Have you seen it on a shelf? Ksenia, ever? You all mean, the, all you the mean in this,
2: this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, it, and the, about, also
2: that some of it, are there, there are some libraries, they still didn't even, um, well, maybe they read them, but they didn't study them.
1: No. Anyway, anyway, um, to think yeah. of, you know, the, there's a lot of, um, and the monks were instructed to go out and talk to people all over the country and to learn their language. So noble silence was not the first thing they did. The first thing was to to communicate the Dharma. But when they couldn't do that, then they did the Noble Silence. So I just li- like that. I you know it could kind of like flip things around for me.
2: Uh, I also think Buddha kept, and according to Buddhist lore, the Buddha kept a noble silence on some topics, and.
1: And that's a very important part of it. Yes, you're yeah, right. Yes, yeah. that some things.
2: Deliberately, he deliberately kept silence on some. Yes,
1: topics. like that, I don't do not know, or that will not save you from suffering. In fact. Peg and I kind of disagree a little on this, because there's this one point where he picks up all these leaves and he says, I could talk about all this stuff, but I'm just going to talk about this. And I can't remember how we, we see it differently, but I mean, I think we both agree that he could have talked about all the leaves, but this is the stuff that really makes a difference. Maybe we don't disagree. I don't know. But anyway... He picks up these leaves and he says, this is the stuff I'm going to talk about. But there's other stuff that he just, he, he won't talk about. Either he doesn't know or it would distract you from the path. How do you take it, Ksenia, the stuff he doesn't talk about?
2: Well, one of my teachers was saying that this noble silence was the was the very important answer <laughs> on some of these questions. It it wasn't not the answer. It was answer.
1: And we see noble silence in the, in the koan. At the end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, it gives the student a chance to um, to to find their find the answer for themselves which is the only kind of way to really do it like if there, there's a, a well there's a story about how uh the master asked the student who were you before you were born and the student knew the answer to every other question but he didn't know this so the student's so baffled he's like the star student He goes off for 20 years and figures it out. He comes back to the teacher and tells him the answer. And then he says, why didn't you tell me? And and the teacher says something like, you know, that would have been terrible.
3: So it reminded me of what moms and dads do all the time when a child comes up and says, can I have another cookie? And they just don't say a word. And that's the answer. And the kid goes, okay, I know it's almost dinner or something like that. <laughs> so Buddha does that for us when we want another cookie sometimes, or we want the answer to everything.
1: And there's also that thing like, a, you know, like, uh, is it in love story where it says something like, uh, in love, you never have to say you're sorry, something like that.
3: Love you is know, never having to say you're sorry.
1: You, you don't yeah, have, okay.
3: yeah. I, I I disagree. Love is, having, <laughs> love is having to say you're sorry all the time, even if it wasn't your fault. <laughs>
0: that's more accurate right?
2: yeah i i also think that keeping silence when child is asking for cookie is a cruel way to answer <laughs> i don't mean it i don't mean it. it's actually it's a, kind of, sounds like an emotional child <laughs> <Have> to <laughs> a two-year-old to send you to
3: a
0: yeah. seven-year-old who
3: wants another cookie and you're looking at him like you know the rules you
2: know how this works that's- yeah, and you just that's, said no, and because I said that, so. yeah,
5: that's <laughs> the the key. The key is that you don't say anything, but you give them the look. The look, because <laughs> okay, the maybe. look says everything. It does.
2: What, yeah. And I, I know that one of my teachers was was like the one that on some questions was answering. I just want you to to be with this question for a while <laughs> and it it turned out to be a really beneficial answer actually I I
0: I, I understood something different I kind of as writers there's a moment when you know you're with yourself and you're in silence and it's like a pregnant silence because from that silence you're going to write but you don't know what it's going to be and if in that moment somebody comes in and talks to you or the TV is turned on, or something that distracts you, you may lose it, and that's the terrible thing that you don't know what you were about to write. It's not a, it's not a memory. It's not a thought. It's that pregnant silence that before you you start writing, and. That's how I I took it. That at times in silence, there's so much there. And then when we write it down, it flows. And you may not even know where it's taking you. But then when you get to the end, you realize, oh, yes. I... And you didn't even know you had that inside of you. So that's how I took it.
4: And Starle, I, I just have one final comment that kind of connects with what you said. And um, when in the con, um, I don't remember the name, he said, what, what, Deshan said, what, what? That is kind of who um, oh, is interrupting this silence with his question about the saints uh, going, having gone. Um, and then the answer is what, what? I was uh, reading yesterday, this chapter of the Zen mind, beginner's mind. I don't remember exactly the, the name of the chapter, but it's something like uh, believing in nothing. And it relates with what Kim showed about the concept of Arashi a person that is always in the present moment. So everything unfolds in the present and there's no past and no future. And my interpretation this night about the Shan asking about the saints of the past or where they have gone, it's not the present moment at all. So it was important for me to notice um, that. Thank you. Thank you. Can you pay, copy and paste the link in here, please?
1: Of what we just read?
4: Yeah, I won't read for further. <laughs> just reread.
0: You don't want to find out. You don't want to wait until next week. You, no, that,
2: you want to know I what? She, <laughs> wants, she wants to reread. <laughs>
1: you want to know the secret the
2: secret is that there is no secret
1: no i'm going to tell you the secret three words oh that's one word that's the acronym (laughs) there it is oops now
3: joel told me the secret earlier
1: isn't that neat first you're soft and then you awake and then you then you have present awareness so um but if you're not quiet you never get there yeah that's a soft to me Okay, what did Joel say? What was the secret? We can't have two secrets.
3: Well, it was another secret. I mean, it was (laughs) a different answer. So I was asking him. So I said, you know, uh, uh, Joel, I finally figured out that epiphanies are not awakening or enlightenment. So what is the difference between enlightenment and awakenings? My impression is awakenings can happen in a series of ways and ongoing And enlightenment is almost a state that you arrive at in your life. And he said, awakening has been described by some as the moment when you realize how incapable you are, how totally incapable you are of all the stories you told yourself and all the reaching that you have about that and realize everyone around you is equally incapable and it humbles you into a union with everyone and everything. I just thought that
0: was beautiful.
1: No delusions.
0: No
3: delusions.
1: Okay.
0: Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you all.